Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. I want to have you open up Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We do greet you on this resurrection day, this Easter morning. And you know the greeting, Christ is risen. What are you supposed to say when I say that? That's right. You're not supposed to say woo-hoo like everybody did, although that's good too. But, but we're going to actually read where that comes from here in Luke chapter 24. But Christ is risen. Oh, let's try that again. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. So I want to read from Luke chapter 24, and I'm not going to read every verse in the chapter, but we're going to read a number of them. And so just listen to the narrative of Scripture here. Luke chapter 24. This is where we left off Friday evening. And by the way, that Friday evening service was just amazing this year. And just thank you for everybody coming with an open heart to receive the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, these are angels, suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, The angel said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them, appeared to the apostles as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, laying separately. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them, two of the disciples, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. And as Jesus approaches them, they don't recognize him. And he asks, what are you talking about? And they are perplexed, again, that word, uh, how he could not know what they're talking about because this was such big news in Jerusalem, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they said to him that some of our people heard that he was raised from the dead, but we don't understand any of this. And so then we go down in verse 25, Jesus says to them, they still don't know who he is. He says, O foolish men, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he takes them through the whole Hebrew scripture. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though they were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. That's where we get the phrase, He has risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon, to Peter. And they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself, Jesus himself, stood in their midst, and he says to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened, and, though they, and thought that they were seeing a spirit. They thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, it's kind of silly in and of itself because you can't see spirits. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem and all the way to Yarrington, Nevada. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise, the Holy Spirit, of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that this morning, that two of these events that we see here would happen for each one of us sitting right here over the next few minutes this morning. I pray that our hearts would begin to burn on the inside of us as we read your scripture. I pray that you would open our minds for the understanding of the scripture. And then, Lord, I add to that, I pray that we would truly have our lives changed by this revelation and embrace the forgiveness of sins that you have given us, 
that you have wiped out all of our debts by your blood, that you have redeemed us unto God, and you've made us the family and the children of God again. You don't hold anything against us. You're not angry with us, but you have forgiven us of our sin. If only we would repent, turn to you, and believe on you, and that then we would be clothed with power from on high by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray these things this morning as we turn to your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage that we have read, of course, there are a hundred sermons. There are many things that we could look at, and I, and I do pray that even as we were reading them, certain things were jumping out to you as a word from the Lord for you in, in, in your heart. But I want to focus this morning on this very blunt and very simple question that the angels ask of the women when they say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the fact that they were seeking him. The question implies that they are seeking him. And that's a good thing, because not everybody was seeking him. The apostles weren't. They were hiding out. They were afraid. And that's understandable, because their leader had just been killed, and they were next to be arrested and killed as far as they understood. And that would happen eventually, but it didn't happen on that day. But the women were not afraid, and they went out to the tomb, and they saw something quite miraculous, quite amazing. The first thing they saw is that the stone had been rolled away, something that would have been impossible for anybody to do. Because the entire, as we read from the other Gospels, the entire tomb was under guard by Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers that would not let down their guard, would not go to sleep, and they were under the command of Pilate, the governor. You need to understand that this was the height of the Roman Empire. This was the zenith of the Roman Empire. These were the most powerful days of the Roman Empire. And Judea and Jerusalem was the hottest spot in the Roman Empire for trouble, just like the Middle East remains to this day. It was so much trouble for the Roman Empire that within 40 years, within one generation in AD 70, Titus, leading the armies of Rome, came and destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So I don't want you to think that this event happened in some hidden corner of the world. As we talked about Friday, I don't want you to think that this event happened in a city where people just didn't know each other or care about each other. This was the tightest community in the world amongst these Jews that lived there. And Pilate was doing everything he could to keep control over the city. And so he set a guard over this tomb. That's number one. Number two, the stone itself is just incredibly heavy. There's no way that one person just came up and rolled it away. And yet the guard fell under the power of God, and there was a great earthquake, and the scripture tells us that the stone rolled away, and Jesus was not there anymore. And yet his, his uh, grave clothes were still there. <laughs> and so they were very perplexed by these things. And it was impossible for them to believe, because it's something that had never happened in the history of mankind and has never happened since. I'm not saying that nobody else has ever been raised from the dead. Of course, we have examples in Scripture of people that have been raised from the dead. 
I, I know of people, I've heard of stories, and one that I was directly involved in where a person clinically was dead and they were raised from the dead by prayer. But each one of those cases is just the case of a man, a woman, or a child who was raised from the dead just to die again. They were more resuscitated than raised from the dead. Do you understand? Even Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for three days, still would have died again later in the story. We just don't read about that. He just got healed. He got resuscitated. He came back to life just to die again, but not Jesus. He was raised from the dead. It so scared them that they thought he was a ghost that they were seeing. They thought he was just a spirit walking around, and Jesus went overboard to prove to them that he was not. He said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and doesn't have bones. Come up here and touch me. You can feel my body. He said, look at the wounds in my hands and in my feet. He'll say to Thomas in, in the Gospel of John we read, he says, thrust your hand into my side. He literally made Thomas stick his hand into the wound that it was in his side so that he would know that he's still the same Jesus, but he's clothed with the glory of eternal life, with the glory of the resurrection that I have news for you awaits each one of us in the future. And so when they came to find Jesus, they were looking for him. They came to the wrong place. The angels said, you're at the wrong address. You're seeking the living one among the dead. He is not here, for he has risen. Now, everybody dies. Everybody dies. And they just stay dead. They don't come out of their graves. All the great religious leaders that have ever lived, all the great philosophers, all the great world leaders, anybody that you respect, anybody that anybody else respects and listens to, they've all died, or they're going to die sometime soon. It's the fate, it's the destiny that awaits every single one of us, even if we don't want to think about it. In the scripture, we read of people like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah, his first wife, and Rachel, his second wife. All these are called the patriarchs, the most revered people in Judaism, the most revered people in the scripture, and all of them are dead. They're all buried in a cave called Machpelah. They're all buried in that same cave. You could go visit it today if you were in Israel. Rachel was buried separately. She was buried nearby in Bethlehem. Joseph, her son, who ruled over Egypt as second in command. When he died, they would have mummified his body. But he gave a command that he not be buried in a pyramid. He gave a command that when God would lead them out of Israel, that they would carry his bones back to the promised land. And 400 years later, they remembered. And when God led them out of Israel, they took the bones of Joseph and they buried them in a place called Shechem. It's in modern-day Nablus, just north of Jerusalem. Moses, the greatest prophet that ever lived in the Old Testament days. Moses, the most revered lawgiver in history, died up on a mountain, and he was never allowed to even go into the land of promise at a place, place called Beth Peor on the east side of the Dead Sea. We don't know where his tomb is, because when he died, the scripture tells us in Jude that, that Michael, the archangel, had, to, had, a, had a battle with the devil himself. 
And Satan and Michael were at battle over the body of Moses. Obviously, Satan would have loved to have a shrine built upon Moses' grave so that people would worship Moses instead of God. And God would not allow that. And Michael cried out, the Lord rebuke you. And the scripture tells us in the book of, Number, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 34, the scripture tells us that the Lord himself, now who is this Lord? We've been talking about this. He gave his name to Moses at a burning bush, remember? He met the Lord. He saw the Lord. He took his shoes off at that burning bush, and he worshiped the Lord. And when he asked him, what is your name? The Lord said, I am who I am, which is the name that we usually pronounce, used to be more pronounced as Jehovah, but usually today it would be pronounced as Yahweh. He met Yahweh there at the burning bush. And the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy 34 that Yahweh himself, and I've got a little clue for you, Jesus is the Lord, that, that Jesus himself, that Jehovah himself, Yahweh himself, God himself, the Son of God, buried Moses' body in a hidden location so that nobody would know where it is. But we know that he died, and we know that he was buried. David, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29 in the sermon that Peter preaches, he makes this statement that the tomb of the patriarch David is with us to this day. They knew exactly where David was buried. They all died. They all were buried. If we went to the other religions of the world, we could go through a list that's just endless because it goes on forever. People know when and where Buddha was cremated and where his remains were scattered. Some would say that he reached nirvana. Some would say that was his final reincarnation. And I won't argue with that because it doesn't really matter. But it still is a fact that he died and his remains were cremated. Muhammad, I won't make a case against Islam or against the teachings of Muhammad. There's no way to argue with the fact that Muhammad is one of the most revered people in history today on our planet. And Muhammad is a, this great and revered leader of Islam, this great prophet of Islam, without making an argument about what he taught, or about the Quran or the Bible, or any of these kinds of things. I'll say this one thing I know, that they know, we know when, June 8th, in the year 632, Muhammad died and is buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. They all died. And that's not saying anything bad about them. We all die. That's human. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And in verse 27. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin or without sin to those who eagerly await him. So the case in the New Testament is not uh, trying to prove that Jesus is uh, so much different from all these other people that we mentioned that he just didn't die. No, it says that he also is human. But how can he be God and human? Well, that's the mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God became man. And it was the only way for our salvation.
But we can understand that even in Genesis, because God created man. He created us, and he made us in his image. So he is always, we have always been in his image, so it is no right thing that he would take on our image also, that we might be saved, and yet without sin. Jesus died, just like Muhammad. Jesus died, just like Buddha. Jesus died, just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like David. Jesus died. And he was buried in a tomb. The difference is that he raised up from the dead. And his resurrection from the dead is called the first fruits from the dead. Because it tells us that every single one of us will be raised from the dead. It says here in this scripture, it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes the judgment. This word appointed in the Greek is apokimi. And it means it is laid up for man. But it's a word that we would call destiny today. It's how they use the word. It is man's destiny. Some people would say it is his fate. It is the destiny of every man. It's a destiny which, whether for good or for evil, is fixed by God and cannot be avoided. I read somewhere this last week that in 2028, there's going to be life-extending pills on the market somewhere. I don't know, something they're doing in Silicon Valley or something. Okay, so maybe you're going to live to be 150. Maybe you're going to live to be 900 and something like some of those guys before the flood. You're still going to die eventually, okay? It's just the fate or the destiny of every man. But the destiny is not just the death. I want you to notice that it says, and after this comes judgment. And that means that even when a person dies, he's still alive. His body has died, but his spirit and his soul are alive. But do you not believe, because people think this, that the day they die, you know, some people just don't believe in life after death, which is, is utter nonsense. I mean, it's, it's just so ridiculous, it doesn't, it, it doesn't even deserve to be argued against. Because at the moment of death, in, throughout our lives, we know it somewhere on the inside of this that we are going to live forever. Everybody knows it. But anyway, many people think that when they die, in that very moment, they're going to be judged. Okay, But that's not really what the scripture says, although it's hard to talk about moments when you're talking about eternity, because after you die, you've, you've exited this prison of time that we live in. Because we live in time, and God lives outside of time. Okay, So it's hard to talk about moments, but if we tried to make a timeline out of it, the judgment doesn't come in the moment that a person dies. The judgment comes at the moment of his resurrection. And everybody will be resurrected from the dead. The scripture teaches in many places that there are two resurrections from the dead. The first resurrection is a resurrection unto eternal life for all the righteous. The second res resurrection is a resurrection unto eternal damnation, eternal death, really, eternal judgment for all those who are outside of Christ. And the scripture makes that very clear, that everyone will be resurrected from the dead. We were not created in a body just to lose that body forever. Do you remember in the scripture, in the order of creation, the scripture tells us that before God breathed the breath of life into Adam, before the spiritual and soulless part of a man came to being, first God created his body. And the body is, is a holy thing. The body is something that's very important to God. So important that he calls the church the body of Christ. 
So important that he reveals himself in the giving of this bread, which he says is my body, and this cup, which he says is my blood. So it says that we will appear, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in another place in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we will be judged, it says. So this is our destiny. It's laid up for us, whether for good or for evil. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now at that time Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Uh, and by the way, another scripture that tells us things aren't going to just get better on earth until Jesus comes back. But there will be a time of great distress, like there's never been before. And it says that at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. That means resurrection. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. But everyone shall be raised from the dead. In Colossians chapter 5, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, we read this statement. There is a hope laid up for you in heaven. It's the same word that we read in Hebrews, that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chance. There's this life that we've been given. Were there a second chance, I seriously doubt we would do it any better than we've done it now, because we can't do it without Jesus. And for this, he died for us and took his sin upon us. But this same word, this destiny word, in Colossians 1, it says, there is a hope laid up for you, a hope that you are destined for in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And then if you look with me at 2 Timothy, at the very end of Paul's life, writing to Timothy, in the last words that, that were written by him just before he died, just before he was executed for his faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read in verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Isn't that wonderful to live a life that you can see your death as an offering unto the Lord and not as some tragic thing that I wish never would happen to me. But you can see that you were given this life to pour it out as a drink offering unto the Lord. And to see that when you leave this body, you're not really dead. The Bible loves the word sleep, okay? Because your body's just sleeping, really. It's waiting for it to be, risen, to be raised from the dead. So he says, the time of my departure has come. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me, again, this destiny word. It is my destiny in the future. He says it's coming in the future, but it's laid up for me. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He says, this crown of righteousness is laid up for me. It's my destiny. But that's not because I'm the great apostle Paul. He never referred to himself as the great apostle Paul, by the way, but the least of the apostles and called himself the slave of Jesus. 
the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says this, this, this crown of righteousness, this victor's crown, when we use the word crown, we usually think about like a golden king's crown. But in the scripture, that's the word diadem. This crown is a, a laurel crown uh, made with laurel leaves that was placed on the head of a victor who won the battle. It was like the medals or the belt that for the fighters would get or something. It was the crown that was placed on the head of the victor. And it was placed on the head of the victor by the judge. When it says in 2 Corinthians, we'll look at that in just a second, that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's, 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 it's this same understanding. It's not this kind of judge where you're going to be sent to jail. It's this kind of judge who rewards you a crown of victory or tells you, no, sorry, you lost and you don't get a crown. And he says, but there is a crown of victory that's awaiting me. It's my destiny to receive this crown. And he says, but it's not only for me, but it's for everybody who loves the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a question for you this morning that you can answer on the inside of your heart honestly before the Lord. Do you love the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? One day, many years ago, in Murmansk in Russia, uh, on Easter there, uh, I was talking to a guy outside, and uh, um, another guy walked by, and I think he was a little bit drunk, or something was going on with him. But anyway, we said to him, Christ is risen. And he said, well, that sounds logical. Sometimes when you say Christ is risen, a person may not say it out loud, but they just think in their heart, and perhaps somebody here this morning did, well, I guess so, I don't know. Or maybe he's risen, maybe not. Maybe it's just a fairy tale. Many people, probably most people, in answer to this statement, Christ is risen, their answer is simply, and? So what? What does that have to do with my life today? Do you love the appearance of Jesus? Do you love his resurrection from the dead? Do you love, and are you looking forward to the day when he comes back? You know, some people go into a contest not thinking they're going to win. But when you, if you love appearing before the judgment seat, it means you went into the contest believing you're going to get the gold medal, believing that you're going to win, believing that you're going to conquer because the conqueror lives on the inside of you. And if Christ is for you, no one can be against you. And the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus Christ has built. We need to have an attitude of victory today. We need to have an attitude of joy today. Joy is not getting free from the battle. Joy is embracing the battle and being the victors in the battle. To love his appearance. To eagerly await for his coming. To long for salvation. A salvation that will come without sin. We're not guilty of anything. If we were, we would be afraid to stand before the the, the, the throne before the judgment seat of Christ. We have not failed. We are not guilty. And I know that sounds preposterous because every single one of us, probably already this morning before you got to church or after you got to church, did something mean to somebody else or had some mean thought or got all frustrated about something. And you know, actually, I am guilty, but I have news for you. It's the news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that if you believe in Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven you past, present, and future. And Paul did not say, I have fought the good, fight of, the good fight of being a good boy and doing everything that God wanted me to do. He said, I fought the good fight of faith. 
Do you know that faith is a work? Faith is the work of love. It's the work of love. It says so in Scripture that faith works by love. When we love, then we trust. Faith is just trust. When we love, then we are faithful. When we love, then we believe. And it's a fight of faith in every single day. Just like Michael had to struggle against Satan over the body of Moses, don't you believe that Satan is not fighting over your body also? Because there is a devil. There is an enemy. And when we had the youth thing this week, there were like, I don't know why, but in the, in the car there were a lot of questions about temptation, and I think they've been talking about that some and everything. And... Uh, uh, you know, is it a sin to be tempted? I was like, no, it's not a sin to be tempted. Everybody's tempted. <laughs> sin is when you give in to the temptation. But even then, the scripture tells us, you just confess that to God. You just be honest about it, and he forgives you of that. Because the, the blood of Jesus paid for our sin, past, present, and future. And so Paul is confident that because he's remained faithful to Jesus, you know, really, all you have to do to win it's just say faithful to Jesus. But I got knocked down, Pastor. Well, then get back up and keep going. But I got beat up really bad. Then get up and keep fighting. I mean, everybody that knows anything about sports or any, anything in life, you're not going to accomplish anything if you don't go through suffering. If you don't get knocked down and get back up and just keep on going. Keep on going. And I'm telling you that because that's just the simplest explanation I can come up with for what faith is. That you believe in Jesus so much that you never quit. You never give up. And even if it comes to a place in your life like it did for Job in the Old Testament, where you've lost everything. All his kids died tragically. His wife kicked him out. Everybody came against him. Every disease possible attacked him in his body. The only thing left was that he didn't die. And he said these words, Even if God kills me, I will not ever turn my back on him. I will not ever deny him. That's what faith is. And Paul said that I have fought this good fight, this fight of faith. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read again about this judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Therefore... I guess I should read verse 7 since I just said this. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. And he says in verse 9, Therefore, we also have as our ambition. I want you to know that ambition is usually a bad thing. Ambitious people get themselves in a lot of trouble. But there is a certain kind of ambition that is a godly ambition. It's called the zeal for God. It's when you're just so ambitious about God because you're ambitious about something that's good, something that can actually last forever. Usually when we talk about a person being ambitious, they're ambitious about power, they're ambitious about their health, they're ambitious about money, they're ambitious about some other thing that they're gonna lose eventually anyway. And they're never going to take it beyond the grave. But an ambition for Jesus, a thirst for eternal life, for real life, that's a good ambition. And so he says, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, that means whether we're still alive or we've died, to be pleasing to Jesus, to be pleasing to him. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed. It's payback. It's either a reward, or it's what we call payback, a non-reward. But everybody's going to get paid back. As the old preachers used to preach, there's a payday coming someday. And everybody will stand before that judgment seat. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Well, that sounds like my good deeds can save me. And that means I'm already lost because I've already blown it too many times. But that's not what it means. And we'll see this in just a minute. The deed in the body, the deeds in the body are the deeds of faith, hope, and love. That's the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. And they will be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether it is good or it is bad. A lot of people do good things, but they do it without love. They do it without faith. They do it without hope. In one of Dostoevsky's book, books called The Brothers uh, Karamazov, there is a quote from one of the guys in the book, and I'm not quoting it exactly, I just always remember this, it's stuck in my head. But he says, the more I hate people, the more I love humanity. You have to think about it. He said, I love humanity so much, but I can't stand to be with individual people more than two days. Somebody drives me nuts because they got a cold and they blow their nose, and he goes on through this whole, this whole ritual. But you know, it's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. There are people today that love humanity. They love mankind. They'll fight for every cause, but they hate people. Good deeds are not deeds that other people say are good. Good deeds are deeds of faith, hope, and love, and you don't have to have your name on a platform. You don't have to have a spotlight on you. It's just in your life as brothers and sisters, as parents, as children, living the life of Jesus in the world that we live in. So everyone dies, everyone stands before the judgment seat of Christ, and so there's only one ambition in this life that's worth living. There's only one. Only one thing that really matters is to be pleasing to Jesus. And the only thing he needs for you to be pleasing to him is to trust him. Just believe him. Put your faith in him. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation. Do you believe this morning? It is the power of God to the Jew first, but it's also the power of God to the Greek. If you were here last Sunday, it's the power of God for the donkeys, and it's the power of God for the colts. It's the power of God to the person who's been religious all of his life. But it's also the power of God of salvation to the person who's never heard the name of Jesus before this day. There is power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in it, in the gospel that we are preaching this morning, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. You will live forever. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person has missed the mark. Every person has failed. And then it says in 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What you deserve is death. But God has a new destiny for you. And I'm telling you about that this morning. That the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So in Romans 8.1, it continues and says, Therefore there is now no condemnation. There's no damnation. There's no hell. There's no eternal judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Let me ask you something. Or let me tell you something. I won't even ask you. I'll just tell you. You don't have to understand the law for it to work, do you? You're going to get pulled over and get that ticket written because you didn't have your seatbelt on or because you were talking on your cell phone or because you were driving too fast and you don't like it. And you can argue with the officer and tell him, you know, and I've been there. I don't argue. And it's been a long time. Hallelujah. Because it's really expensive. But it's so expensive. It puts a fear in you. But, but uh, you know, you want to argue. But you know it's not going to do any good. So you just figure I'll be polite. Maybe he'll let me off with a warning. And then he doesn't anyway. But, but you know there's nothing you can do about it. You don't have to understand a law for it to work. And you don't have to understand the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is believe. You'll get more understanding as you go from faith to faith, but you'll never understand it all. Just believe and receive. God wants to bless you. Just let him bless you. He wants you to have eternal life. In Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Do you remember we talked about God appearing to Moses in the burning bush. And his name is Yahweh. I am who I am. And that name is used six, over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It's God's name. And it's always translated as Lord. Okay? So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God Almighty, that Jesus is the Lord God, that Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who appeared to Moses. He's the one who came as a baby to Mary. He's the one who lived those lives and taught those things and did those miracles, that that was always God in human flesh. 100% God and 100% man. And that God in human flesh went to the cross and died for you. And that God his Father raised him up from the dead on the third day and that he's coming again. He's seated today at the right hand of the Father. If you confess that with your mouth, if you just say, I believe that with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, that's what comes first. Search inside your heart this morning. There are some here who have never confessed Jesus as the Lord of their life. And I'm going to tell you something because it's what I have from the Holy Spirit. I do. We have so many um, unthought out and just easy confessions and they don't stick. They don't stick. And there's a time and a place to call people forward and stand them up before people. But I promise you something. If you really believe on Jesus, you're, you will confess him before men. And this morning, I really sense the Holy Spirit telling me, don't even make an altar call. This is the altar call right here. Search inside your heart. Do you not already believe that what I'm saying is true? Do you not already believe the witness of Scripture? 
do not already believe this. They're not that spark of belief that's in your heart. And I call on you by the Holy Spirit today. Give your heart over to that belief. And if you're sitting here like most of you and saying, oh yeah, I believe. I believed a long, 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 long time ago. It says to go from faith to faith. We need to go up to a new level of faith. We need to go up to a new level that's called ambition, that's called zeal for God, that we really believe. Not just on Sunday mornings, but we really believe. We believe so much that we begin to act in faith and in hope and in love. You can tell how much you believe by looking at how you treat other people. Because we're all created in the image of God. You can tell how much you believe, not by how many Sunday mornings you're at church, Although that can be a measure of it also. Because the scripture says to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. To make time for God. How much of our time, how much of our money, how, mu how much of our behavior is invested in the kingdom of God? I'm not judging that. You can judge that. Everybody who's in a, a contest, if it was a football game or a basketball game or a wrestling match, everybody knows when they're losing and everybody knows when they're doing pretty good and they're winning. Okay? You know in your own heart. But God wants to take us up to a new level of faith. And I just want to challenge you with that, with that this, this Easter morning. You have that faith in your heart. I know. Because I prayed before we ever started. And before I ever came here today. That your hearts would burn within you. And that your mind, to your mind would be revealed the truth of Scripture. So act on that belief. That belief will result in righteousness. It will bring you into a right relationship with God. Your name will be in the book. You will achieve the destiny of receiving the crown of righteousness and eternal life. And then it says, and with the mouth he confesses. That's what comes second. And that confession with your mouth results in salvation. When you confess, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now Jesus talked about confessing me before men. And you will eventually. I promise. But the first confession is not supposed to be before men. It's a confession you can make all by yourself in your closet, all alone. It's calling on the name of the Lord because I can't save you. And nobody here can save you. Nobody can forgive your sin. I certainly can't forgive your sin. Number one, I don't know everything you've done wrong. Number two, you didn't do it against me. And if somebody did offend me, well, yeah, I can forgive you at a certain level. Like, I'll let that go and I'll forgive you. But I can't forgive you before God. There's nothing I could do. I can't die for you. I can't die for myself. Have you ever felt like I just need to offer myself up as a sacrifice for my sin, you know, crawl through the glass and the rocks and beat myself with whips or something like that? What good is that going to do? You can't wipe out your own sin. You can't even take back the words that you say. Can you? <laughs> Jesus said that, that we'll give an answer for every empty word that we spoke. How many times have you said something stupid that you wish you could take back, but you can't take it back? But you know what? That has the other, another side of the coin to that. Another side of the metal to that. Everything you say stays out there. So start saying, Jesus, save me. You are my Lord. And it will never be taken back. 
confess with your mouth what you already believe in your heart. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And don't say this morning, well, that was a really good sermon for people that aren't Christians yet. No, it's a good sermon for me. It's a good sermon for every one of us because we are awaiting a salvation. We are moving toward this hope. And there are great challenges ahead of us. This, this year is not going to end the way it began. I promise you that. And it's not going to be the same world at the end of this year that it was at the beginning of this year. It's not the same world this Easter as it was, uh, say, a month before Easter, uh, what was that, three years ago when they shut all the churches down? It's, everything's changing. We need to be on fire with faith. We need to believe this in our heart and be confessing this with our mouth because Jesus is Lord and he is coming back very soon. Let me have you stand together with me this morning. I'm going to pray. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urintonvinionfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.